be dismissed to Children's Church at this time through the back of the worship center there. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I hope that it is a blessing to you. Um, it has been a good week. I hope it's been a good week for you as well. I want to begin this morning um, with a confession. I want to start off by saying that I am just passionate and thrilled to be um, part of the pastor team here at South Campbellsville Baptist Church. Uh, but every now and then, confession is good for the soul. Now, many of you probably have already noticed this. So I'm going to just start my sermon and take a little pastoral privilege this morning. And I'm going to ask if you would, if you would take out your cell phones. Listen, you want to take out your cell phones. We already know you want to take them out. Okay, so take out your cell phones, if you will. And I need you to help me with something, okay? I need you to take a selfie right here, right now. And I need you to text it to this number. See this number right up here? I love being a part of the pastor team, but I am terrible with learning names. And it's going to take me 25 years to learn everybody's name in this building. And I need all the help that I can get. So here's what I need you to do. Right here, right now in church, it's okay. The preacher says it's fine. I need you to take a selfie. And I need you to send it to this number. Now listen, something that's very important. Please put your name with the selfie, okay? It doesn't do me any good if I don't have a name. Names are important. For our young folks here, if you're not with your families, please take a selfie. But on your selfie, if you would... Please put who your mom and dad are. Names are important. So let's see how quickly we can do this. Let's take like a minute, and I'll sing a special song. No, I won't do that. And just take a real quick selfie and send it to this number. Will y'all do that for me? Because I'm tired of y'all going, hey, Pastor Ron, and I'm going, hey, how are you, okay? All right. Uh, Sheila worked out a, a thing for me many years ago that if we're in Walmart or somewhere and somebody says, Hey, Ron, how you doing? And I don't immediately introduce her. She realizes I have no idea whose name this person I'm talking to is. And it's terrible. It's, it's just a bad thing for a preacher to have this problem with. But I do, and I need to confess it. So I need your help, okay? So let's take just a second. Are y'all taking selfies? I can't. The lights are really bright. Everybody's going to get a selfie. If you don't have a cell phone, see me or my wife after service, okay? Because my commitment to you is this, is to take that picture and that name and to lift you up by name weekly. Right now I'm praying for people of the church. I want to be able to call you by name in the throne room of God. And this will really, really help me uh, learn your name. In case you don't know, my name is Ron. Okay, so I can introduce. All right. Okay. It's hard to see. It looks like everybody's done. So let's review. You took a picture... And you send it to this number. And you put your name with it. Remember, names are important. All right, let's turn our focus to the Lord then. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be with you this morning. Lord, we pray that you might uh, continue to anoint uh, this time. We offer you our praise. We offer you our life. Father, when we leave this place, may we be able to say that we're walking more closely with you than we ever have. Holy Spirit, do whatever work is needed in our hearts and minds. We are your vessels. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to begin a walk through John's gospel, not through the entire gospel uh, beginning today, but looking at one particular subject. And that particular subject are the seven I am statements of Jesus. Uh, specifically, he uses a name 
seven times within the scripture. And as I said when you were taking pictures, names are important. If you sent me a text message with just your picture and no name, I'm still not really going to know who you are. You are known by your name. The same is true with Jesus. We know him by his name, and he's given many names in the scripture. He is called Lord. He is called the Word. He is called Messiah. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. And that's but just a few of the names that we know of of Jesus. But each of these names tells us about his person and his character. So names are important. And in the Gospel of John, which is a very unique gospel, a, different, a little different than the other three, there are seven times that Jesus says, I am. Now you can follow along in your bulletin on the right side if you'd like to fill in your notes. And by the way, if you hear this sermon and go home, by the time you go home, you've retained 10% of it. But if you hear it, you see visually on the overheads, and you take notes, you'll retain about 65% of what you hear in this place. So get in the habit of taking notes. Seven times Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. He says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. He says, I am the gate or the door of the sheep in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd in John 10 also. He said, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14, and he says, I am the true vine in John 15. So we begin today with the first one, and we, over the next seven weeks, we will be working through this. Now, it is not a surprise that we find these I am statements in the gospel of John. As I said, John's gospel is a little unique compared to the others. And John, in chapter 20 and verse 31 of his writings, tells us the reason that he wrote this. He said he wrote his gospel... So that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. That wonderful phrase there at the end, that you may have life in His name. He wrote this in order that we might believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, and that we might find life in His name. Remember, names are important. The first thing I want you to see if you're taking notes with us in the bulletin or in your Bible or another piece of paper is this. Every time we see Jesus say, I am, we are seeing the divinity of Jesus, that he is claiming to be God. In the original writings of the Bible, the, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. Each of these um, uh, I am statements is the term ego a me. Now, Dr. Acri would not be happy with me that I'm mispronouncing these words, but I do the best I can. I, I told somebody this morning, I grew up in Tennessee and I live in Kentucky, so we can make words sound any way we want to, right? So, ego a me, I am. This is Jesus claiming to be God. And each of these statements are put this way. Ego I me, the bread of life. Ego I me, the truth, the way, and the life. I am is what Jesus is saying. And when Jesus uses this phrase, what he's doing, he's telling the hearer in his day, or the reader for us today, he is making this, this uh, declarative statement about his character, about who he is. He's telling us by his name who he is. Now, this is not a descriptive statement. A descriptive statement would for, for me would be to say, I am tall. I am balding. I'm not bald, I am balding. 
I am a Tennessee Vols fan, which is good right now. Amen. I'm not sure about how that big blue is doing right now. Not too good, I don't think. Right then they lose last night. I am a Tennessee Vols fan. Those things tell you about me, but they don't tell you who I am, who my character is, and who the essence of my person is. When Jesus comes and says, I am, he is giving this profound, profound revealing of his person, of who he is. And there's something very, very cool about this. And I love the study of Scripture. I love when the Scripture uh, connects together, especially Old Testament and New Testament. The same wording or the same phraseology is used in Hebrew all the way back in the book of Exodus when God meets Moses at the burning bush and he's sending Moses to go to Egypt to free the Israelite children from slavery. And if you know that passage, Moses says, Who, who do I say sent me? And God the Father says, I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Now what he means by that is this. God, when he says that I am, that he is, he is saying that he is the essence and source of everything. That there is nothing apart from him. That there's nothing that exists, that ever has existed, that ever will exist, that happens apart from his person, his character, his nature, and his will. Well, we fast forward a couple thousand years to Jesus and when he says, I am, he is saying exactly the same thing when he looks at the crowd as we're going to see this morning and he goes, ego me, the bread of life. Now, here's the thing. Many people over the years have said Jesus never really claimed to be God, that he never claimed to be a deity or claimed to be divine. Well, if you've read any of the scriptures, especially John, you know that is simply not true. Leon Morris, a, a wonderful New Testament scholar, wrote this. He said, when Jesus used the I am construction, he was speaking in the style of deity. He was speaking as one who was divine to the people. And we're going to see in a moment that this really caused problems for the listeners. But we also see this in his statement of John chapter five, uh, 8 and verse 58 when he says, before Abraham was... I am. Now, Abraham was the father of their nation, and they revered Abraham. And he stands before them, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be divine. Now, stop here. Without understanding that Jesus is claiming divinity by making this statement, you will miss everything else in this series. Not only that, you'll miss everything else we ever talk about because the fact and truth that Jesus is divine, that he is not a created being, but rather the Bible according to John and Revelation tells us that the Son of God is given the credit for the creation, that he is fully holy God. If you don't catch this, then you miss anything that we will ever teach here because we believe that Jesus is fully God. you agree with me? Say amen. Now that's essential to the foundational truths of everything that we hold to and for this series. So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6. We're going to begin down in verse 35. But let me give you a picture of John chapter 6. Jesus has, uh, has grown in reputation and stature as a healer and a giver. Uh, he is known by the people, and people are flocking to him because they want what he can give to them. He can heal them, and he can feed them, and he can make them whole. And at the beginning of chapter 6, we see this great multitude of people following Jesus, and, and they're hungry. So the Bible tells us that Jesus fed them with just a little food, and the Bible says there were around 5,000 of them there. 
But because he was being so pressed by the people, because people were making such demands upon him, and if you read that passage in John chapter 6, he perceived, the Bible says, that they were about to want him to become king. He escaped from them across the sea. Now, he, he did a very unique thing when he crossed the sea. He walked on water, okay, which is pretty cool. So the preceding passages leading up to what we're going to read is Jesus feeding the 5,000 with only a little food and walking on water. Two pretty impressive uh, feats, if you would agree with me, and that's going to play a role here in a moment. So the crowds follow him. They find him the next day, and after a lengthy discourse, I want to pick up the conversation in John chapter 6 and verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus, talking to the multitude, talking to the crowd, said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He looked at them and says, I am the bread of life. If you partake of me, you will never hunger, and you will never thirst. Now, there's something that everyone here needs to confess, that we need to have a mental agreement with and a heart agreement with that is absolutely true. There is a natural hunger in us, that we try to fill with so many things. Have to, um, I went to bed early last night because I wanted to get up early this morning, and I laid in bed for about four and a half hours before I could ever go to sleep. And this just kept rolling over in my mind. As I had prepared this sermon this week, God was bringing back to my heart and memory the so many things that I have pursued to feel that longing in my heart that was not Jesus. And we all do it. It could be money, it could be possessions, it could be pleasure, it could be passion, it could be stuff, it could be people's recognition. Many people may not even be able to put a name to what it is, but it drives us and it compels us and it forms our heart and mind. And when we don't have it, it can crush us. Some, said, some people have said that we have a God-sized hole in our heart that can only be filled with Jesus. I don't know if that's true, but what I know is this. Jesus looked at this crowd and he said that he alone could quench their hunger. He alone was the answer to everything that they sought. That there was no one other answer. That Jesus alone is sufficient for every need. You believe that? Say amen. So he looks at this crowd and he says, I can quench your hunger. It is reminiscent of Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well uh, in Samaria, a Samaritan woman of all things. The uh, Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And this woman was drawing water, and Jesus asked her for water. And Jesus knew the condition that she was living in. She had a life that had been a, a life of struggle. She had, had a lot of trouble. She had been divorced many times, and the man that she was living with at the time wasn't her husband. And he looks at this woman and he says, I can give you water with which if you will drink it, you will never thirst again. That's an amazing passage that Jesus through the scripture today and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit tells each one of us today thousands of years later the hunger that drives you, the thirst that drives you, that He alone is the answer. Now I don't know about you, maybe you'll go home tonight and you won't get to, uh, get to sleep and I'll take the blame for that. But I laid in bed last night and I kept thinking all these things I had kept saying, Lord I'm sorry. I've pursued that and it didn't satisfy me. I've pursued that and it didn't satisfy me. And I've pursued that and it didn't satisfy me. Can you imagine with me for just a moment to be so filled with Jesus, to be so filled with his presence, to be so filled with his love and his grace and his mercy that the hunger and thirst of this life seem trivial in comparison. That the hunger and thirst that push us and pull us and drive us and crush us all fall away. Because we are so filled with the great I am who is the bread of life. 
I'm soon to be 54 years old, and far too many of my years has been just the opposite while filling a pulpit most every Sunday. I've ministered to people and served people who went in headlong pursuits of things that will never, ever, ever satisfy them. And when the one thing doesn't satisfy, they try something else. It's not till a person comes to a point of total surrender to Jesus Christ that we find that hunger and that thirst quenched and we find it only in the person and work of Jesus because he is the great I am. What a happy day. What a happy day when a lost sheep is found by the great I am who is also the good shepherd. I believe Pastor Tim is going to be preaching that here in a few Sundays. But there's a sad truth in this story as well. Far too many of us saved sheep. <laughs> Far too many of those of us who have tasted and experienced the good things of God. Far too many of us who claim the name of Jesus, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We know we're going to heaven. Far too many of us live our life pushed and pulled and dragged and disappointed by those same hungers and those same thirsts that everybody else is pulled with. We are supposed to be different. Somebody say Amen. We've been given life. We have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be different, and yet we still long for these things that will never, ever satisfy. So we're pulled, and we're disillusioned, and we're dispirited, and we're pushed this way and that. And instead of victory in Jesus, um, we pursue things that will never fulfill. And words like joy and peace... The words that we roll off of our tongues very easily when we talk about, uh, about faith, we have joy in Jesus with the peace, those things are foreign ideas because those are the things that are robbed by the hunger and thirst that is fulfilled by something else in Jesus. It's only, it's only when we come to allow Jesus to fulfill our hunger and thirst that we find that joy and peace. There are far too many Christians sitting on far too many pews this morning all across this great nation, and they claim the name of Jesus, but they have no joy. They have no abiding peace in this world because they are not allowing Jesus to satisfy their hunger. Now, I have to tell you something. We're about to get to a point that I've really struggled with this week. Because this is a radical teaching. It's not me. This is radical. This is not come in and sit down on a pew. This is not serve on a committee. This is not give 10% of your time. This is a radical call of Jesus Christ to surrender everything that we are. So Jesus tells these people that he is the bread of life. But there is a backstory to this that you need to hear. The people that Jesus was talking to in this passage were following him because of what he could do for them not because he was God. Uh, they were following him because they were sick and they were hungry and Jesus could then and I believe that Jesus still does today uh, heals those kind of things and cures those kind of things. But in this story, these people were following him not because he was God and that he was worthy of their praise and worthy of, of their lives, but they were following him because, because uh, of what he could do for them. There's, uh, John especially has some really amazing dialogue passages and some very lengthy dialogue passages that I'm going to shorten them for the purpose of this sermon this morning. But I want to show you just a couple of these dialogues. Go back to uh, chapter 6, same chapter, and go back to verse 25. I just want to read a couple of these dialogues. That, uh, chapter 6 is one lengthy, really, uh, from 622 on is one lengthy dialogue. We'll read 25 through 31. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Remember, he 
uh, slipped away from them by walking on the water. They did not see that. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. And when he says truly, truly, he means, listen, I'm about to say something important. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the people found Jesus... uh, uh, they, they ask him what they must do to, to uh, be doing the works of the Father. And he, sa- he tells the people that you must believe on him whom the Father has sent. And then we have this amazing question. I, I, I love when you read this and it just kind of scratches your head and goes, that's amazing. Look in verse 30. It's on the screen. He said, you must believe on him whom the Father has sent. And they looked at Jesus and said, okay... What sign will you do for us that we may believe in you? What are you going to do to show us that you're really the Son of God? By the way, our fathers, our our forefathers ate manna in the wilderness that was given to them by God each day. Now I have to tell you, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, and I thought, if I was Jesus Christ in this situation, I'd have looked at them and I would have went, really? This is what you're asking me? I mean, guys, did y'all not just see me yesterday? I fed 5,000 people with just a little food, uh, and I even sent home leftovers. That's not good enough for you, really? You're asking me for a sign at this point? And what I think he wanted to say was, by the way, they ate manna from heaven, and they hungered each day. I am the bread of life. Eat of me, and you will never, ever hunger again. So this is amazing dialogue. But this is important to understand this part. Because it shows that his claim to be divine goes deeper than meets the eye. And that's the third thing I want you to see. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is calling for our total surrender. Now, we need to stop here. I would love to confess from this pulpit that I have lived a life of nearly Well, I was seven when I got saved, and I'm 53 now. Do the math. I have lived a life of total surrender. But in all honesty, I've lived a life just skirting around the edges of having enough surrender to feel righteous, of doing enough good works to feel like I'm one that fits in, of filling my life with church and religious duty. And there's nothing wrong with church and there's nothing wrong with the duty we're called to do. But they are not substitutes for surrender to Jesus Christ. And I think I've preached to a crowd for 25 years, to congregations for the past 25 years, who perhaps are in the same boat I am. We know it's important, but it's difficult. We see in this passage that Jesus is calling for people's total surrender. There are a few times in this dialogue that you can go back and read later where Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And instead of making the people happy, it made them sad. Actually, it didn't make them sad, it made them mad. And the reason for that is this. His call that he was, his statement that he was the bread of life was calling them to do something, and that was to surrender themselves. Pick up in verse 51. Same chapter, verse 51. And I'll read through verse 58. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. Then the Jews, Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, I need you to understand something. This is a startling statement by Jesus. To come to this point in his ministry, to look at the crowds that were there because of what he could give them and what he could do for them in that moment, he looks at them and he makes this amazing, uh, this amazing claim upon their lives and upon what is required of them. Now, you and I understand that this is not a literal eating of flesh and drinking of blood. It is representative of the fact that we have surrendered our all to Jesus, that he is our sustenance, that day by day we are renewing our commitment to him and that we rely upon him totally. Yes, we go to work and yes, we go home, but we understand that all those things are by his hand and not ours. You understand that? Say amen. Okay, so it is a, it is a, it is a picture of our renewal each day of, of, our, of our commitment to the Lord. It is a picture of what we did last Sunday in this very room when we came to the Lord's table and we took of Holy Communion. Communion is a picture of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when we come together to take of, of the Lord's table, of the Lord's Supper, it is a renewal of our commitment to Jesus as the sole Lord and Master of our lives. Too many of us say Jesus is our Savior. But Jesus must also be your Lord and your Master. We understand as we come together as we did last week that what we're screaming, what we're living out by taking of the Lord's table is that we are only because He is the great I Am. And everything rests upon Him. So when Jesus is, what Jesus is telling the people in this passage and, and us today is, is fairly simple. And yet it's very difficult. And I have to be honest with you, this, this, this is part I laid in bed last night. I just couldn't get past. It's very simple, the call of Jesus. But what we need to understand today, because we know what I want to do, I want to tickle ears. I want to say something that's politically correct. I want to come in this place and I want you to go. I said, wow, that was a great sermon and let's go eat. But what I really want is the Holy Spirit of God to fall upon this place and help us to understand that the call to take upon the bread of life is a call that will cost everything that we are. Now that's hard to preach in a country that has so much. I've heard stories of third world countries where they live this passage out much better than we do, or at least much better than I do. So the call is to give everything. I can imagine him, I'm going to kind of put this in my words if it's okay. I can imagine him looking at the crowd and going, okay, that's fine. You want to follow after me? That's great. Okay, that's fine. 
then you must give everything that you are. You must surrender all that you are to the fact that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then, and then, my life will be your life. And my love will be your love. And my victory will be your victory. And my sacrifice will be your sacrifice. And my commitment will be your commitment. And by the way, as a way of reminder, his commitment was the way of the cross. And yet somehow, I've lived a life where I've gussied up that cross and made it look all pretty when actually it's a vile and vulgar thing where the Son of Man was crucified and became my sin. And it was on that cross that He made the ultimate commitment for me and for you. And what He's saying in return is this. Hey guys, that's cool. Come and follow me. But surrender all. Surrender all. You know, Cole, that's just not politically correct. This is what Jesus is telling these people in this passage. The people did not like this. Look in verse 66. Verse 66 says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, chapter 6 of John is this great line of demarcation in the ministry of Jesus, where before chapter 6 of John, he has these multitudes following him, flocking after him because he was healing them and he was curing them of all these diseases and he was feeding them in their time of hunger. And then we have this long dialogue in chapter 6 and there's this great line that after this, the multitudes, at least in great a number, no longer followed after him because what he was doing, he was offering them all that he had for them, but they turned from following him. Most everyone left him because they were following him, not because he was the God of creation, not because he is the great I am, not because he was worthy of their lives, but because of what he could do for them. And I'm laying in bed early this morning, like 2.30, just thinking I want to go to sleep. And I thought, how many times in my life have I followed you because of what you've done for me? that I get the prestige of being a pastor, that I know I'm saved, that I've lived a good life. How many times has the church fallen into the same category? I don't think 2,000 years has cured this from us yet. I think far too often we follow after the name of Jesus because of what he can do for us instead of the fact that he simply is the great I am. But there were a few who remained. One last dialogue, if it's okay. Verse 67. There are a few who remained. And what I want you to see from these few is they ended up giving their all. They end up surrendering totally to Christ. Verse 67 says this. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? 
And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter's often known for speaking first and thinking later, but there are two times in the New Testament where Peter gets it exactly right. And this is one of those times. And it is an amazing conversation. Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, where will we go? You are everything to us. You alone are the Holy One of God. And every man standing there with him that day, not Judas, but every man, all the true disciples standing with him that day, gave their all. Except for John, who wrote this gospel, the rest of them were martyred for their faith. They took the fullness of Jesus in. And in return, they gave everything back. It's amazing. As our praise team comes this morning, the call today, because Jesus is the bread of life, is to come and feed upon Him. To come and allow Him to fill you. It is also the call to surrender all that you are and find freedom from the spiritual hunger that you may have spent a lifetime searching for. Let me tell you, the answer to that search and his name is Jesus Christ and he is the Holy One of God. Will it cost you? You have no idea how I struggled with this line in this sermon. I would love to say, ah, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But to live the Christian faith in its fullness, not to live on the periphery, not to live on the edges, not to live it just enough to get into heaven. That's wonderful. But to live our faith in its fullness, the answer is yes, it will cost you. But it is a cost that is worthy to be paid. This is the, this is the parable of the, of the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price is heaven. And that parable, and the merchant who finds the pearl realizes that he is willing to pay any cost because the pearl is so precious. It is the words of Jesus that says that if you will lose your life for me, in me you will find your life. But you know, that's not really a fair trade. My junk, my hypocrisy, my lies, my weak faith in return for all that Jesus has. The call today to come and take of the bread of life because he is divine because of this only he can satisfy your hunger and to live it fully you must surrender day by day by day but the reward for that surrender is greater than anything that you can give to God you understand our pittance for all that God my prayer for you today, my prayer for me today is that we would find Jesus as he is, the great I am, the bread of life. If you're searching, if you're hungering, find Jesus today. Stand with me for a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful. May we be willing to run to you. May we react differently than the crowd did several thousand years ago. 
help us in our weakness. The altar's open. It's a very beautiful place. The altar's a very beautiful place. There'll be some pastors here. If you want someone to pray over you and anoint you with oil, we're here. If you need somebody to get on your face, come together, just plead for God, we're here. If you want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're here. If you want to rededicate your life, we'd love to pray with you at this altar. But you allow the Spirit of God to do in your life now what He has called you in this place to do. The worst thing in the world is to get in your car and go, I should have. I should have said yes. The altar's open. You come as the Lord leads.
those who've come this morning, who've prayed, some have made decisions, some said we want to be prayed over. Remember this, Jesus gave his all for you. Whatever's pulling you, whatever's chasing you, whatever's pushing you, whatever's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus is a lie. It's false. Surrendering to Jesus is the freest thing that you'll ever, ever do. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. If you'll be seated for just a moment, Pastor Andy or Pastor Tim is going to come and bring something to us. Tell you, hadn't it been good to be here this morning? I'm going to ask uh, Mike and Trish, would y'all care to come up? This is no stranger to many of us. They've been coming uh, here for uh, some time now. This is Mike and Trish Hill. Uh, but they have, last week, as you know, we had our uh, new members class, and they came and participated in that. They've came this morning looking to join us here at South Kansas Baptist Church this morning. So if you would, let's give them a hand here this morning. Also, my Stephanie and Keaton, the boys come up. They as well have came uh, this morning to join as well. Uh, of course, Stephanie is, is a member here already as well. But Keaton and Connor uh, have came as well to, to uh, seek to join the church as well. They were there last week as well. And so I uh, we want to welcome them as well to become members of our church. Kenton. Kenton. Kenton, I've got to see. <laughs> Connor's laughing. That's what I thought. <laughs> and Chase, that's right. We got Chase here too. All right. So we're excited for them. Glad that they're here. They've they've come to join us. So we're we're excited to have them here. Here in a minute, Josh is going to close us here in just a second. As after he does, sometimes search you see them. Let's welcome them. Make sure they feel welcome this morning. So, Pastor Josh. Church, if you're excited that our family is growing, let me hear an amen. Amen. Yes. You know, I thought Pastor Ron's words were just uh, so convicting. How many of us um, struggle with surrendering our all? You know, we get so caught up in this culture, in this world, that draws our attention, it draws our, our wants, instead of giving our all to Jesus. So my challenge to you this week, figure out what you're not giving to Jesus. What are you holding back? Are you holding back something? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, God, we thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that, God, through you, we have eternal life. Through you, God, um, God, we have connection. God, I, I pray as we go throughout this week, Lord, God, I pray that we can meditate on you, Lord. God, that we can connect with you once again. God, that we can give our all to you. God, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen.